Everybody's heard of the seven deadly sins, but what are these sins and what makes them so dangerous? Join us today as we answer those questions and more with today's guest, Father David McConey, S.J., Professor of Early Christian History at St. Louis University. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. Today we'll be talking about the seven deadly sins. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University. I'm joined by our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization, again here at Franciscan University and Father David McConey, SJ. Uh, you've been on the program before with us. You're a priest of the Society of Jesus. You have your MA in Ancient Philosophy and Systematic Theology from Marquette, an STL in uh, Greek and Latin Patrology uh, from the University of Innsbruck, uh, a, a Doctor in Philosophy from, in Ecclesial History from Oxford. You're an Assistant Professor of Theology at the University of St. Louis, specializing in early Christianity. And you have four books in print, and, and five or so are coming, forthcoming. Uh, including Called to Be Children of God, The Catholic Theology of Human Deification, both from Ignatius Press. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> this is yeah. great. Um, it, is, it, is, it is a joy to have you here. We're in the middle of Lent, though, and this is a time for us to look at, at a little bit deeper of a subject here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about the seven deadly sins. What are the seven deadly sins, and, and why are they deadly? Yeah, they're deadly. <laughs> I mean, the church does give us a season, ironically, to take inventory of our souls and to let the Spirit lead us into the desert to see where it is precisely we're being tempted. And the seven deadly sins arose out of the Catholic tradition when we started to go out into the desert. I mean, we don't get lists of sins, really, until after Constantine legalizes Christianity. And after the Council of Nicaea, these new manuals started to rise up. One, because the church had to understand how to bring those who fell during the persecutions back, you know, exactly what were they guilty of. We also started RCIA programs, basically adult catechetical programs that parishes now needed manuals. And then we had the monks going out into the deserts. The monks replaced the martyrs, and once Christianity was legalized, these men and women were out there wondering, what exactly do I need to do to grow in holiness? And out of this movement of the early fourth century, these, these guides and these lists of sins, as well as lists of virtues arose. And that's really what the church came to use and understand as the seven deadly sins. Okay, so it started with that. What, 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 what's the well, list? Well, it starts, I mean, it really starts with 1 John 5, 16 right. and 17, right? Okay. That all sin is an affront to God, but there is some sin that is deadly. Okay. Right, more and, and when we say deadly, what, is, what do you mean by that? What does oh, the church mean by that? The church means that there are some sins that kill the life of God in you. Okay. And that's why they call them deadly. They're also sometimes called capital sins because mm. caput head, they're the type of sin out of which other, other sins grow or sprout. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So these are the sins that kill the life of so God. So we call them capital sins, okay. mortal that's, sins, that's, or that's, deadly sins. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty serious stuff. It's though. very if, serious If it stuff. kills uh, the whole theological life in the soul, that, that sounds uh, definitive. Yeah. How do you awaken the soul? 
uh, from a death. Well, First John says, First John's quite clear, 5, 16 to 17, that there are some sins that um, one can pray away, right? And uh-huh. veinialis is Latin for forgivable. It's what yep. we call vain sins. Think of the vein in your arm. Right. They're empty. Yep. I mean, they're, uh, they are an affront to God, of course, but those sins yep. aren't as serious. Right. But there are yep. some sin that is deadly, and for that, the church has always given us the sacrament of reconciliation. Yeah. Okay. That you can't just simply stay in your room and wish you're sorry. You right. get up and you go right. to Jesus and yep. you apologize, and yep. He, in His love, accepts you back, just like the prodigal father. Hmm. So So I I guess the the church wasn't able to inventory these sins until after the period of of the martyrs, because they didn't really have time. I wonder. Yeah, that's a good point. And they maybe just didn't have the interest and the systemization to do that. Because throughout Scripture, we get lists of sin, right? Right. And we also get some contradictory. In Sirach, we hear that pride is the root of all evil. In 1 Timothy, we hear love of money is the root of all evil. And so as people started to reflect a little more deeply on the faith, they said, well, what exactly are I would have thought that the absence of money would be the root of all evil. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're a professor. <laughs> I, I think in some ways the Old Testament book of Proverbs gives us the source, you know, six things Proverbs are hateful six, to God, yeah. right. and then yeah. the seventh is the abomination. And so, you know, it just a seven is a number that is symbolic of perfection, so evil has a certain perfection yeah, as well. Yeah, the inverse. Right. That's right. right. And also, later on, I know this is after Evagrius and the monastic tradition, even after Augustine, you have this interpretive tradition in Gregory, Leo, and others, where the seven Canaanite tribes that Israel has to conquer to secure the promised land in the conquest, mm-hmm. you know, becomes an allegory of the soul. Right. And those seven Canaanites, it isn't so much genocidal warfare against peoples so much as it is the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. And this becomes, uh, you know, from the Moralia all the way through the Middle Ages, yeah. a commonplace. Yeah. That whenever you read this, it's not about attacking people. It's attacking, you know, it's attacking yeah, these. Uh, well, you see that with the churches in Revelation too. They almost right. act as almost like Jungian archetypes. Who, what kind right. of soul are yeah. you? What is right. your reward and what is your punishment? Right. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. yeah. And wait, which of the seven would be the worst, the most grave? Well, here before you do that, tell us what are, what are the what are the seven? Yeah, let's go. Through. What are the seven? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, a, a, a very helpful acronym is Pew Sagel. Being good Catholics, we all know Pew, P-E-W, and then Sagel. Pride, envy wrath, sloth, avarice, gluttony, and lust. And we get lists, well, we get lists in Proverbs, we get lists in Galatians 5. Tertullian, around 210, 220, gave us a list that's fairly close to what we have there. But that list itself really finds its origin in in Evagrius of Ponticus. He was a monk who died in 399, and he wrote a book called The Eight Logismoi, The Eight Evil Thoughts. Hmm. And he had pride and boasting, uh-huh. He didn't have envy, yeah. okay, and he did have wrath. He had sloth, but he also had sloth divided into not only spiritual laziness, but also depression, That's right. justitia, right. that we're sorrowful over God's ways. We don't want to follow God. Right. And then he had the traditional warm three, the uh, avarice, gluttony, and lust. Uh-huh. And then Pope Gregory, he took boasting and subsumed it back into pride and took took uh, sadness and put it under slow. So we got the seven really from Pope Gregory. From Pope Gregory. I mean, yeah. what, he had an envy too. 600. 600. Yeah. yeah. I suppose if you had nothing to boast of, you wouldn't uh, exhibit pride. Yeah. I mean, what comes before the fall? Pride, right? right. Yep. So that would be the worst? I think so, although I have to admit, I mean, certainly in the tradition, pride is always the worst of the sins. It's sin. the fountain of all right. the other. The fountain yeah. of all sin. But I don't wonder if there's not an ur fountain even below that <laughs> being fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are the first words of Christianity? The words of Gabriel to Mary, don't be afraid. And how often Jesus approaches his followers saying, don't be afraid. 
if we're afraid to open ourselves up to God, right. all the other deadly sins will follow. But it seems to me fear is kind of the first thing we have to overcome in allowing the Lord to have us. And, and trust wasn't that the great theme of John Paul's pontificate? You know? Yeah, be don't not be afraid. afraid. Right. You know, your acronym echoes Dante by putting lust last. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I think that's also counterintuitive because I think people see that and fight it all the time, especially in our culture. And so they must think of that as sort of like the deadliest of them all. And I don't want to in any way trivialize it, but at the same not. time, it, you, you're, you're pointing to the fact that it's a sort of disordered form of love. It's not as, as evil as, say, That's right. pride or even right. envy. Well, it's the least of the deadly sins in the tradition because it most mirrors love. Right. It's still a deadly sin. I tell my freshman sure. boys, you'll still go to hell over it. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. it's the most understandable because we're made for relationship, right? right. And right. so the proud person cares nothing about anyone else. They only care about themselves. Right. At least the envious person notices there's something outside of themselves. Right. Yeah. The wrathful person is actually so moved by it, their passions are roused to the point of anger. Right. Yeah. And so we start seeing that the sins decrease in severity as one comes out of oneself. Right, right. right. And you no, see I, that in Dante, you said that. Yeah, I learned course. Pew slag where gluttony is the last, uh -huh. mm. yeah. but uh, we won't quibble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Scott was uh, a lot larger then. Maybe that was it. <laughs> Although it's interesting, Aquinas's, Aquinas's question on gluttony, he says there are six ways to commit gluttony. And the first way is studiose, that you can eat too daintily. I see. So oh, gluttony isn't simply eating too yeah, much, but you can, you can pick at things, things and look at things or, and, yeah. ins and insist only on this type of restaurant, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the next way is forente, you can eat uh, too eagerly. Right, and, and, and then... Um, Attack the meal. Exactly. <laughs> Obviously this man was from Italy. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. And the third one is uh, you can eat too early. Yeah, and I remember nice. reading that, it, it challenged my, I used to, when I bring food to the table, I'll oftentimes try things out, and that's a form of gluttony. He, he would yeah. be a difficult saint to live with, I, I think, think so. Uh, around yeah. supper time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so lust is, is the least objectionable. I mean, not that it's... Right. It's, it's, uh, it still kills the life of God. It still kills right, the life of God, but... but it, it reflects more weakness than it does malice, mm -hmm. and at least it implicates you in some relation that's uh, right. to another, even it's, if it's abusive. That's right. It's right. the most relational of the sins. That's why it's right. the least deadly. Yeah. I mean, what does Vatican II say, right? That the human person is the only creature willed for his or her own sake. Right. Right? Therefore, we're the only creatures who find ourselves through a sincere gift of self. You can hear John Paul all over that. Right. That we're made to mirror the image of the Trinity, which yeah. is total gift, total yeah. other-centeredness. Yeah. And pride does not capture that at all, where at right. least lust hints at it. Well, it, with, with lust, you're, you're insisting, that, insisting that the other make a gift of herself to you, but you're, you're going to withhold yourself. There's many forms of lust, right? right yeah, yeah. But I think the tradition is important because I think especially men take inventory of their moral life with lust only. If I goof up there, I get to confession. If I don't, I stay away. And there's so much more going on in the soul for all right. of us. Yeah, I'm struck by a, a wonderful essay that Dorothy Sayers wrote hmm. many years ago called The Other Deadly Sins. Ah, okay, yeah. We, we need to focus on those as well, right. not be fixated on, on the sins of the flesh. Right, yeah. You know, I think the one of the seven that is the most misunderstood or neglected is envy. Hmm. You know, because pride and envy are really the sins of the devil. Wisdom 2.24, it was the envy of the devil yeah. that introduced yeah. death into the world. But I think part of the problem is that envy is so often confused with jealousy, right. and yet they're so distinct. Exactly. I mean, it, there are connections, but jealousy wants what another person has. Envy tends to resent what the other person has. Right. Jealousy can be good, but it's usually bad. I mean, I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, so it's not intrinsically evil, but envy is only and always evil because 
it, it's a sadness at the, the blessings of the others, yeah, yeah, of yeah. others you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Well, think of the words, right? Jealous and zealous are the same root. That's Why? Because right. I'm jealous of what I think I have a right to. I'm jealous of my reputation or honor. Envy comes from the word invidere, which means to look askance upon something else. That's right. And, and you and want in, something. So it's a rejection in, of another's. Right. right, but in Greek and in Hebrew too, phthanos is so distinct from zealos. Mm -hmm. And yet in America especially, those two are used interchangeably. Yeah. Green with envy is never what we really mean when we say that sort of thing. And I remember hearing a priest say, I've never heard in decades envy confessed. Yeah. Hmm. That is the idea that I'm resenting the good of another. Yeah. Because it's usually something subterranean within the soul. You just keep pushing yeah. it down, you know. Yeah. And there's a third f species of, of envy, which is spite. Yeah. I don't want it, but I don't want you to have it either. So yeah. I'll destroy it. Yeah. We see that in friendships, we see that in goods. So not only are you bitter when you witness the, the, mm -hmm. the, the pleasure of another, the joy of another, right. but you would like to divest them of it. Exactly. Uh, right. you, you, Steal away their joy. Right, that yeah. spite. Yeah. And you see where pride flows into envy because Aquinas says pride has four species. He says the most garden variety kind of pride is when you say I'm the best at whatever. You attribute a perfection to yourself you don't have. Mm -hmm. I was with a family last night and the three-year-old little George, you know, I'm the best baseball player in the world. Sure you are. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's that kind of pride in which you do have the perfection, but you think you have it because you gave it to yourself. Uh, okay, yeah. so maybe I am the world's best basketball player. Why? Well, because God gave me these gifts, right? Yeah. The third kind of species of pride for uh, Aquinas, at least, is I have the perfection. I know God gave it to me, but I think he did because I deserve it. Right, mm -hmm. right, yeah. This is Augustine's early, yeah, that, a, that God gives Jacob the faith and not Esau because he thinks Jacob will do well with it. That's what Augustine used to think <laughs> so, until he thought that was a form right. of pride, right? Yeah. Right, I But then the worst kind of pride for Aquinas is that you have the perfection. You know God gave it to you. You know you don't deserve it, but you secretly hope he gives it to no one else. Uh -huh. And that's how pride then flows into envy, see? Mm, that yeah. would be quite corrupting. Exactly. Which, which of the sins do you think is most common today? Oh good, I thought you were going to ask me which I struggle with. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Hunt says the, most, the least understood is envy. I think one of the least understood is sloth. And I think mm. that's really the sin of our generation. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because sloth in the tradition isn't, isn't laziness, it's hyperactivity to the point where you don't take your eternal perfection seriously. So you're you, busy with the things of this world. Sure, you're busy answering email and not adoration. Hmm. And we're all on 24-7 with our phones and our computers. And I really think the call of the Christian, especially during Lent, is to make time for silence each day. Right. And it's sloth that says, you know what, I don't have time for that. I have to get busy about doing other things. Yeah. Sloth wasn't laziness until Calvin, right? Until the reformers. Hmm. God wants to bless you through hard work. So if you are poor, you're obviously lazy and that's a sin. Yeah. And sloth became more idleness. Where for the greats of our tradition, right. the fathers and the medieval doctors, sloth is really that spiritual torpor right. and intellectual laziness. And, and it is oh. pervasive. It's all over. I, I think it was Dr. Johnson who said that industry is the enemy of melancholy. But he leaves out the fact that unless that industry is harnessed to something good, uh, to God, to hope, uh, then it, it's not really, a, a, it doesn't really gain say of right. the sin of sloth. Mm -hmm. It implicates you in it. You're sort of disguising it. I mean, Kierkegaard says that the character of modern despair is that it's unable to perceive itself as despair. Uh, it, it covers it over. It provides a smokescreen of work, uh, mm -hmm. effort, activity. And that sort of keeps the fact that I'm in despair at bay. I don't have to think about it. You don't have it, to think about but it. But it's eating mm -hmm. me up. It's consuming me. This is what Pascal says, nobody wants to be a prisoner because you have all day to think about your own wretchedness, right? Right. So we want to fill our life up with diversions. Well, he no. also says that 
most of the crime committed in the world is committed by men who can't bear their own company yeah. for more than five minutes. That's right. Hmm. That's right. Hmm. So Sloth, how does that relate to Achadia? Yeah, exactly. Because it seems like they're, they're almost the same thing. Yeah. And, 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 and what's Achadia? Uh, well, Achadia is a kind of spiritual Sloth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a resentment the of the effort needed to become what God made us to be. Okay. You know, right. Right. Uh, the Greek word kados means care. So the ascetic soul is somebody who just doesn't care. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Oh. It's summed up in the generation's word whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. Hey, Billy, you're made for spiritual perfection. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So Billy, what? keep that up. You might go to hell. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right. So it's not just a, a rejection of the effort needed to become holy. It's also a resentment that you find in others. That's where envy and achadia right. also. Right. Yeah, Yeah, not a happy prospect. No, indeed. Stay with us for the next segment. I used to be a very lazy person, but one thing that's helped me to overcome sloth has been discipline. And I definitely struggle um, with sloth and just overcoming and I wanted a way to fix that. I, need, I knew that I needed to. And so my senior year of high school, I took up running and I entered the Marine Corps Marathon. This past year, I've been training for a marathon since January. And that took determination and day-to-day training. Go to bed early so that I could wake up at four the next morning to go run 17 miles. And I think that translated into many different aspects of my life. The dedication that it took affected all aspects of my life and really just made me want to live my life better and with more purpose. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about the seven deadly sins with author and professor, Father David McConey. Uh, Father, when we, we left the last segment, we were talking about sloth. Yeah. And I, I, I know there was much more that you wanted to unpack uh, on this. Well, studying in England, I learned that the seven deadly sins are divided up into the first three, which the Brits call the cold sins, pride, envy, and wrath, because you're yeah. kind of iced in on yourself. Right. That Lutheran image of incurvatus in say, you're curved in on yourself. And the, the latter three of, um, of avarice, gluttony, and lust, they call the warm sins, because at least you're moved towards something. Right. Okay. And right in the middle is that lukewarm sin, mm-hmm. right? That Revelation 3, right? Uh, how I wish yeah. you were, yeah, hot or cold. Yeah. And I think sloth is probably one of the most misunderstood sins, because it's not laziness. To watch Sports Center lying on the couch all day doesn't necessarily indicate sloth, hmm. but your inability to be roused by the things of God. And this is why sloth is usually linked to sorrow, because God asks you to go out and evangelize, and God wants you to accept His love, and you're saddened by that, Mm. because you can no longer stay at the center of your life. Right. I think one of the most prescient questions on on sloth is is Aquinas's. Now, Aquinas uses the Greek term asadia, which literally means without care. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a really deadly sin because it can go very undetected, but Aquinas says it'll exist in one of four places. If it exists in your intellect, rushing after various things without cause. Yeah, yeah, he says it's, it's an uneasiness of mind. Hmm. And those are the, my Wikipedia students. Those are the kids that don't actually <laughs> care about the argument, they just want the p- trivia, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But then he says if it exists in, the curios- in, your, in your imagination where there are pictures, that's what he calls curiosity. Yeah. 
And that's really, I think, one of the problems behind lust, especially with the internet today, that oftentimes when a, a young man will confess lust, I'll say, well, are you really that lustful? So oftentimes, I know I'm that curious. Yes. Boredom yes. and curiosity. Exactly, because Which I'm not so zealously concerned about my final end, I'll get taken in with any image that comes right, my right. way, yeah. whether it be pornographic or sports. Right. That's where I identify myself. Yeah, it right. just leads from yeah, that. Elliot speaks of, of a condition of being distracted from distraction there you by go. distraction. By distraction, right, right, exactly, right, right. that's it. Yeah. And then he says it can exist in the body, and that's indicated by your inability to sit still. Right. Or it can it can lie in it can rely reside in your in your speech, and that's your inability to be quiet. And I know what you're thinking. I'm almost done here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but think of think of young people today. Their inability to sit still and their inability to be quiet. And I really think, even though they may not be necessarily personally suffering from sloth, our generation and our culture demands that we're always moving. Right. right. The fifth category is online, the internet, yeah, email, right. and all of yeah, that. I Facebook. Mean, that's and a whole new. Wait breed. till Google Glasses take us, you know, constantly. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, it is really something. And it, what's what's really what's really curious is how subtly it can come. So I once got permission to give the story, but um, hearing confessions, a man came in, and he, at the end of his confession, he said, "You know, Father, I think I'm making progress." I said, "Why is that?" He said. Because I used to come home from work and I was really stressed and I'd come into the house and take it out on my family. I found I was yelling at them and I was really kind of an ugly person to be around for that first hour. So what I've been doing is leaving dungarees and a flannel shirt in the garage. When I come home, I change and I go work for an hour. And I'm a fallen male just like him. I thought, that's a great idea. Yeah. Well, good for you. Well, guess who comes in next? The missus, right? Yeah. And you know how most women start their confessions, right? My husband, no. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't know how most <laughs> confessions start. Yeah. But she made a great confession at the end. She said, I'm really struggling with something. I said, what's that? She goes, my husband used to come home from work and come inside and help me. But now he stays out in the garage for an hour. I see. And that's sloth. I mean, what's easier to control? From your Petunias or three-year-olds, right? right? He was taking the easier way. He couldn't imagine investing himself in the messiness of human relationships. Right. Mm. And that's the essence of sloth, to stay away, not care. To remove yourself. Exactly. From and from your vocation. And also. that's what we do with email and surfing the internet. Yeah. I mean, I, consumed in that. I say to you, I think, arose with the remote control. We're not committed to any even a half-hour program. Right. But, but you could argue that better that remedy for him uh, than rage. Sure. Uh, uh, That's right. Because wrath is the worst deadly right. sin than sloth. Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I didn't even detect it as that till I heard her. I see. Yeah. And then you compared notes. Unfortunately, I didn't know Did who he was. Did you bring the so two could... together? No, oh, I didn't. See, but that's one really of the problems. No communal no. confessions. No. Right? no. <laughs> well, you know, St. Thomas, uh, he, I think he really seizes upon the essence of sloth when he describes it as sadness in the face of a spiritual good. That's right. We've been summoned by God to salvation, joy, and yet the prospect of it leaves us cold, indifferent. It's just too tedious. And in that question, tiresome. he says, when you find sorrow about spiritual things, you'll naturally find recourse to physical things, mm -hmm. right? If right. you find adoration too right. difficult, you'll go to the movies. Mm -hmm. It's inevitably mm -hmm. that we do that. I think it's also movies. significant. Yeah. The opposite of sloth or asadia is uh, gaudium, spiritual joy. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and so you often don't even notice what you've lost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what God wants to restore. But so often we don't either trust that he wants to bring us back to joy, or we just don't think it's worth yeah. the effort anymore. You know, what is it, Psalm 91, it's the noonday devil. Demon, that's you know, right. It's a demon, right. right. And, uh, and in the monastic noon, tradition right? especially. After lunch, you know, you're sitting through that long Stuperous. talk. Stuporous. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, that's a, a wonderful insight, Scott, that the opposite of sloth is not industry, not work, but joy. joy. Yeah. 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 And yeah. a spiritual joy. It's not just right. a kind of... The Calvinists would probably have it as industry. In, in fact, there's, yeah. a, there's exactly. a pagan virtue which Christianity sort of deepened and, and baptized, magnanimity. Right. I mean, both Aristotle and, and St. Thomas speak of it as the jewel 
of all the virtues because it always uh, exhorts us well, to aspire after what is great. Aquinas what says one noble. of the rotten fruits of aseta is pusillanimity, right. small soulness, the opposite of magnanimity. And in Dante, the Marian counterpart, so in the Purgatorio, there's always a Marian antidote to right. each of these and it's her visitation with Elizabeth. Yeah. It's that zeal of getting up and sharing that joy that my soul magnifies the, magn the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And that what we see in Mary is the sense that she knows God has chosen and to right. use her. And that's the vocation of every Christian. Yes. And if we only believe that, we would get up. So, <laughs> so if, we have, if we have these seven deadly sins, are there corresponding uh, virtues? Sure, that go of course. Because yeah, I mean, these, these are the things that we need to root out in our lives, but uh, we've got to replace them. Yeah, they need to be right. substituted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, the question is, of course, how? And have you ever thought of how wonderful it is that the church asks us at every public liturgy to stand up in front of our brothers and sisters and wives and children and say, I have sinned? Yeah. Right, right. And that when we bring these sins to the Lord, it's actually an act of praise. It's not something antecedent to the true worship that happens only later. Right. And mm. this is really what we see all over the Gospels. You know, Peter falling in Luke 5, Jesus, away from me, I'm a sinner. You think Jesus yeah. doesn't know that? He says, yeah, get up. There's work to be done. That's right. right. And so the first step of the spiritual life really is that purgation of mm. knowing and identifying our sins and asking the Lord to take them away. And we stop saying your fault, her fault, my fault, <laughs> my most grievous fault. Yeah, yeah. What a healthy therapy. Yeah, I think, you know, a, a superficial reading of Augustine, for example, his confessions would conclude it's just a catalog of sin. I mean, Lord Byron said, I, I read Augustine because I discovered new sins <laughs> that I hadn't yet committed. But it's really not about that at all. Not it's at praise, all. That's right. a gesture of praise. It, it's pretty extensive. It goes on for hundreds of pages, but it's really an acknowledgement of God, His glory, That's His right. majesty, and, and really my nothingness yes. in His presence. And yet He has stooped down to take pity on that nothingness, and, and that deep. gives me that gives me pleasure. Yeah, my undergrads are usually disappointed that Augustine wasn't that great of a sinner. They're looking for all the <laughs> yeah, just saucy a couple parts. Of yeah. <laughs> you know, we're only at the beginning of a revival in virtue ethics. I mean, mm -hmm. it goes back to the 70s and 80s with Alistair McIntyre, but the fact is, the moral tradition of the church, where you have not only the catalog of vices, but also the corresponding virtues, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, these are the sorts of things that are a part of the moral catechetical tradition, and yet they're still needing to be developed further. Yeah, they are. And, and, and not just for you know, the sake of analysis, but for the sake of diagnosis and cure. You know, so often when you find out that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, you know, these fruit of the Spirit that Paul enumerates so easily, so naturally and yet supernaturally, you begin to see that, boy, looking at the moral life as just commandment keeping is such a barren way of approaching it. Right. And right. When in fact it is Gaudium, it is the joy and the love and the, and the peace right. and all of that. And so we talked about Gaudium as the, as the kind of ancillary uh, uh, virtue for, for sloth. What are some right. of the other? Others. Or well, is, is, that, is that traditional again, or is there many lists? Oh, there are many lists, really. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, Dante's lists are probably the most brilliant, certainly the most uh, imaginatory. Colorful. Yeah. 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 The proud in purgatory, for example, are asked to carry huge boulders. Why? Because what do boulders do? They make you look at right. the what? The humus, the yeah. humility, right? right? It brings them back to the earth, That's right? That's great. Um, <clears throat> the, 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 uh, the slothful are asked to run. You know, to get her out there and, and, and do it. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it doesn't take much to realize that what the antidote to pride is humility, right? Right. right. The antidote to, to jealousy is gratitude, of being grateful. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. this is one of the things about our tradition. When we continue to think that the goods that we want are really divided up and then diminished, that's wrong, right? Only the small goods like chocolate and pizza, right. when they're divided, they're diminished. But the great goods like joy and mercy and love and wisdom and joy and laughter, yeah. 
the more we give those away, the more there is, right? right. My soul magnifies the Lord. We don't need to compete for these things. Right. And this is the problem with the deadly sins. I think the heart of sin for a Christian isn't the violation of some sacred code. That's the pagan way. Right. Sin for the Christian is the breaking of a personal relationship right. with God and with one another. And if you look at all the deadly sins, what they do is they objectify everyone else. When you're proud, everyone else is an inconvenience. Hmm. How often do we do that? Right. Yeah. right? I curse some driver for going 80 past me. Well, when I go 80, it's because I'm in a hurry, right? Exactly. I have a very good reason. But when I'm proud, everyone else is an inconvenience. When I'm envious, everyone's a threat. Everyone's a danger to me. Yeah. Right, right. I, I think of a, of a lovely little book by Joseph Pieper called mm. The Virtues of the Human Heart. It's only about 50 pages long. And, and he wrote it uh, during uh, the period of the Third Reich. And it's amazing that it escaped uh, detection yeah. uh, or censorship. But, but he speaks of virtue as maximizing the possibilities of being human. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're the virtues of the human heart. Yeah. I mean, you don't really have to inventory them, systematize them, you know, like, like you were a bookkeeper. That's right. It, it's, it's what it means to be human, right. fully human, yeah, fully right. alive. Yeah. And this is why God condemns sin, because it diminishes our happiness. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so often that's why we call it a fall, huh? It's less. Yeah. Yeah. Right, there's less of you there. Yeah, and you know, it's funny too, because in St. Benedict's rule, there's only one time he uses the word joy, and it's in the, when he's describing the joy of Lent. Hmm. And it's, it's a season where we're entering into a penitential way of life, yeah. but for the purpose of rediscovering joy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and during this time, as we look at our sin, it is really you know, bringing that glory of God alive in us. Is that St. Irenaeus, right? The glory of right, God right, is man, is man fully, fully alive. Fully alive. Yeah. And yeah. so as we strip ourselves of these you know, deadly sins, these capital uh, sins in our lives, as we you know, embrace those virtues, it, it's, we are becoming more what God created us to be, which is praise of Him. Right? Which is His image and likeness, right. It's and always it, relational. And that makes us more who we are meant to be. Exactly. I, I wonder if I could come to the defense of at least one form of sadness, which I think is, is to be commended. I mean, Thomas speaks of, of sadness in, in this way as the absence of, of a good that you, you hope to obtain. Yeah. When it's not there, it's absent, and that leaves you sad. That's good. Christ That's weeping healthy. over Jerusalem. Right. right. So it, it means I'm going to pursue it. Yeah. If you're sad having acquired that good, then it's sinful. You, mm -hmm. you have slipped into sloth, and that is allied mm -hmm. to despair, yeah. the sin against the Holy Spirit. Well, Thomas talked about two types of sadness, that which wears you down, tristitia, oh. and that which actually charges you yeah. and yeah. energizes you to do yeah. something about it. Yeah. yeah, so I don't want to condemn sorrow outright because it right. does have a place. Yeah. I mean, I mean, students ought to be sad at the beginning of, of the semester because there is so much they don't yet know. But that should be a spur That's to right. try to uh, acquire it. Yeah. I must say, teaching a course on the seven deadly sins would probably get full enrollment. It would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I teach the Purgatorio of Dante with my freshmen, oh, and yeah. I tell you, it goes oh, over you very do. well. Yeah. And I ask them to identify themselves. Oh, Where do you see yourself? In the screw tape letters, for example, right. I always have my kids pick one letter and say, which one pertains most to you? Right. Because Satan knows how to attack us. Right. I mean, think about the reading at Lent, right? And Christ's temptation in the desert. Satan knows that Christ is most susceptible to temptation when he's away from his support system. He's away from his community. He's wondering, does anybody miss me? Here I am. I'm out here now. Right. 40 days. Nobody's become looking for me. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And how does Satan strike? If you are the son of God, he says. That's the one thing that I don't think any of us really believe, that we've been claimed to be the children of God. Right. And in that fear, if we don't allow God to adopt us, we run away with our own little projects, the seven deadly sins. And this is what we have to detect, name, and then bring to the Lord in prayer and penance. And if we don't name it, if we don't acknowledge it, and then we can't move on. Exactly, because we're not puppets. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, the more we understand about our theology and our tradition, yeah. the more holiness we can allow to convert us. Yeah, yeah. this is excellent, excellent. Stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. So as fallen men, we are prone to, to falling in our everyday struggle, um, more specifically the seven deadly sins. But um, I think in, in recognizing God's mercy for us, that we are able to make that extra step in um, building our relationship and restoring our relationship with Christ. I am a communication arts major, the president of Film Club, and an editor for Franciscan University Presents. It's really great to be able to work on Franciscan University Presents because it is a national television show on EWTN, and in a lot of other schools you're not going to have that kind of ability to put that on a resume. When I graduate, I know that I'm going to, to be firm in sticking with my faith and you know going to daily mass and a frequent confession and things like that. Because instead of just learning with my mind or just focusing on schoolwork, I, I actually you know can grow with my whole person. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University. Uh, right now we're taping uh, this show and Franciscan University's Communication Arts Studio. Um, our students are operating the cameras and the equipment. Our, our panelists, our uh, professors here at the university, and actually you're, you're teaching uh, adjunct, I think. I have uh, here, yes, I have before. Very good students. Yes, so Father, we, we've been talking about the seven deadly sins. Um, let's, since we're in Lent, let's start unpacking what we can do with this. How do we respond? Uh, some of us struggle with many, some one, some all sure, <laughs> of sure. these seven deadly sins. What are some advice as we start looking forward at this? Uh, One of my students once called the deadly sins the marijuana sins because they're gateway <laughs> sins into other actions, right? <laughs> and so I think one of the most important things to do is exactly what the penitential rite invites every Christian to do, to be able to recognize that you are a sinner. But in so doing, this is precisely where God is drawn all the more dear to you. And I think sometimes we have those human tapes that when I'm good, my Father loves me. When I'm bad, I am punished. That's and that's not the way it is with God's love, right? In fact, it's almost the exact opposite. If we read the scriptures carefully, which you do here so well, when you get to know Jesus, you see the places the world can't understand that God is at work, right? Tombs, prisons, the cross, that's precisely where God works His greatest power. Right. And we all carry those tombs and prisons and crosses around, and Lent is a time given to us. The church says, hey, name those, bring those to the Lord. Right, right. And it was God who came to us even in our, our sinfulness. Not, I wouldn't say even in, but or because, because of. of. Yes, yeah. that's right, that's right. right. I mean, that's Pope right. Francis is the one who emphasizes how virtually blasphemous it is to make it seem as though God is reluctant to forgive. That's right. He wants to forgive us more than we want him to. I mean, that's right. the sun is not reluctant to melt ice. God's mercy is not something that he, he gives out sparingly. It just, it's, it, it pours out without yeah. limit. So just I, to confirm, we, we, we commit a deadly sin, kills the life of God, we still can be forgiven of that? Of course. Okay. Now the church does say, if you've freely committed a mortal sin, which is grave matter, which is usually the Ten Commandments, right? Mm -hmm. It also, you knew what you were doing and you freely did it. You right. need to get to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Right. Right. And right. those are available. Just check online and That's get to your it. parish. But those are different kinds of sins than the mere everyday bumping and... So we need to run to confession. We need to yeah. run yeah. to Jesus. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And run I, and I, faster to us. Yeah. Your summary, I think, is very accurate and faithful. I remember when I became a Catholic almost 30 years ago, fundamental option was what I not only heard of the classroom, but sometime in the confessional, too, that if I wasn't choosing hell, it wasn't, you know, really sin. And they, they made it seem as 
it was that it was almost as difficult to commit mortal sin right. as heroic virtue used to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but you know, I, I think when we recognize how easy it is for us to fall into mortal sin, uh, and and habitually so, I think what we have to d- realize is that. God is capable of forgiving us, he's longing to, but also setting us free. Yeah. And I think that's what the spirit of Lent is all about, whether it's almsgiving, prayer, fasting, you know, mm-hmm. the saints, uh, pilgrimages, whatever we do, it's always a relational bond of a covenant being renewed. God longs for our happiness more than we do and is capable of doing more for us than we can do for ourselves. Yeah. I mean, nothing, I mean, this is what Jesus said to St. Catherine of Siena, nothing pleases me more, Catherine, than when you believe that I love you. Mm. I mean, that, that should be, uh, I think, the takeaway That's line. Right. Yeah. We're sinners. I mean, that was what Pope Francis said when somebody said, look, who are you? Right. I'm a sinner. Right. But that Jesus loves me more ardently even than I think I love my sins. That's right. That's, right. that's, that, right. that's very freeing. That's and powerful. I think that's why we sin. At the level deep down within us after the fall, there's part of us that just doesn't like ourselves. Yeah. And I think sin is an expression of self-hatred. Yeah. I remember one day on Ash Wednesday, I hate to tell you, but somebody forgot to put the peanut M&Ms away at the Jesuit house, and I walked through and I took an M&M and I thought, it's Ash Wednesday. Uh. So my first thought was, well, might as well go get some ice cream because I already blew it for today, <laughs> right? And sometimes that perfection can right. be the enemy of the good. And yeah. there's a subtle way that we can use sin to beat ourselves up because it's our way of staying away from God. It's right. Satan's right. non-servium. I'm not going to serve you. So how long did this binge last? About two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that is the, the, the gateway, you know. Yeah, that's right. It, it that's opens right. you up. And, and, and during this Lent, we're, we're to, to really uh, evaluate ourselves, use this mm-hmm. as that opportunity for examination of conscience exactly. and, and to go deeper, to, to, uh, to do fasting, uh, prayer, and almsgiving, the, the traditional methods, but to really come in, in closer communion and recognizing that God is the one who loved us first. That's right. Uh, That's right. You know, you mentioned gratitude. That's sort of what helps a lot. I would also add what we're saying now is trust, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the Divine Mercy devotions, you know, Jesus, I trust in you. And, and I think that's the way that we get back on track is just by saying, you know, mm-hmm. you love me into existence. You love me at this moment. You will love me all the way home. You know, and echoing St. Catherine, you know, I, right. that is the one thing he wants us to trust him. And you love me so paradoxically, you love me even where I'm wounded yeah. in a way that nobody else, even myself, can. Right. Have you ever noticed, I mean, you all have children, right, that the, the pictures and the cards you put on the refrigerator usually have a backward C, an upside down E, or there's something imperfect about right. it, right? right? And that's what draws your heart to the little ones. And I sometimes wonder, without promoting sin, of course, that that's what our sinfulness does. It draws the Father's love to us and say, look, I want to catch you before you stumble. Right. I right. want to be there. I'm not going to wait till you can walk perfectly before I hold your hand. Right. I'm going to be there even in that tumble and fall. Hmm. And I think hmm. if we could convince Christians that they're loved, especially yeah. where they're well, running away from God. Is this why despair is, is really a sin against hope? Uh, it's yeah. against trust. Uh, because you're saying to God, you know, I have sung so low that you can't help yeah, me. You can't right. reach me. And don't you that's see what it is? Of, that's a form of pride. It is. Everybody else is forgiven except me. Right. Yeah. Look how special I am. <laughs> God could never My forgive My sins me. are so spectacular. And we can Which sometimes take that as a false God, humility, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Behind that, though, is really the sense of loss that I, I, I yeah. no longer believe that I'm a child of God. Right. You know, uh, I'm just a creature, I'm, I'm an employee, I'm, I'm a, a kind of lazy servant, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember coming home one day, I was a father for about five or six years, and one of my kids was really sick. And you know, he was supposed to nap, and mom needed him to nap, but I came upstairs, and he was draining out of both nostrils, coughing and wheezing. And he looked at me, me sorry, I'll nap, you know, and I'm like, no, you don't need to. And I scooped him up, 
And he looked bewildered, like, you're not upset at me? You know, mom needs me. I'm like, no, you're sick. He, I'm sick. You know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. God, use that. Freeze frame it, Scott, because that's often how I feel about you, though you don't believe it. You know, yeah. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You know, trust in that kind of love. And that's beautiful. And, and I think of the image from Revelation, you know, Christ knocking on the door uh, and wanting to enter. Uh, and, and, and we were on a retreat where the priest talked about, you know, what are the doors that you're still locking? You know, what are, what are, what are the areas of your heart, of your life mm -hmm. that you need the light of Christ to shine mm -hmm. in? And then during this Lent, it's that opportunity to unlock those doors, open wide those doors. Exactly. You know, to let Christ in, to shine in that. You use the R word, retreat. That's yeah. a great idea yeah. for Lent. I mean. Yeah. I understand that from, from friends of mine who went to Marquette, we both are Marquette grads, uh, that back in the 50s and early 60s, uh, a retreat, an annual retreat was mandatory. Didn't, so, yeah. It didn't have to be led by the Jesuits, but you had to check it off your list, you know. And nowadays, you know, only spiritual superstars are, you know, it's like we need annual retreats. Yes. And we, yes. you know, I, I think it's a kind of discipline where year after year I went, I'm like, what, what good is it? Then after several years, you're like, it's a cumulative thing, right. you know. Yeah. You need to get back to the discipline and everybody's the beneficiary. Well, C.S. Lewis says the doors of the spiritual life open only backwards. So that annual mm. retreat, stepping back mm. and looking, oh, right? Oh, yeah. uh, the nightly examination of conscience, oh. which is a great thing to do during Lent. Just to look back at the last 24 hours and ask where was I present to God and where right. have I blocked God? And to take and, some conversation yeah, or encounter. And, and Lewis also says that the door into hell is locked on the inside. That's right. They mm -hmm. don't want out. Right. Uh, and they don't want anybody to come in. That's right. mm -hmm. yeah, they've mm -hmm. slammed that door shut. Mm -hmm. I, I think of that beautiful painting, I think it's by Holman Hunt, Hunt The right. Light of the World. There's Jesus, he's knocking on the door. And it's amazing that this is Pantocrator, the omnipotent God, and he can't get in the door unless you open it. Yeah. He'll never violate our freedom. Right. That's what Lewis says, right? At the end of the world, there are two kinds of people. Those that say to God, thy will be done, right. and those to whom God says, Thy will be done. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. why the church gives us these 40 days, is yeah. to really enter into the dignity of prayer and to realize that we are collaborators with God and that He's not just going to zap grace into us if we don't want right, Him to. Right. And so to be able to take inventory of our souls, not only through the deadly sins, but as Dr. Han said, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, the three pillars of, of, of Lent. Yeah. And prayer, of course, that daily examination of conscience would be such a good thing. 15 minutes, I tell people to set their clock. Set your phone, set your watch, because as long as you're worried about what time it is, you're not really free right, to enter into right. prayer. Yeah. So 10 minutes in the morning, I think we can do that. Yeah. Almsgiving, huh? Go through your closet. What haven't I worn in the last year? Yeah. Give it away. I mean, St. Ambrose says if you have two shirts and your neighbor has none, you're stealing from him. Right. Right? Who says that? Ambrose. Yes. Yeah. 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 Or John Chrysostom. It's in the Catechism that the Eucharist commits us to the poor. Right. How can you say, I feed you at this table where you're unwilling to feed right. him at right. the yeah. normal And when you table. give alms to the poor, yeah. you're loaning money to God. Yeah, yeah. this yeah. is all loaned yeah. to us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the critics of Christianity uh, dare to accuse us of being otherworldly, yeah. yes. right. spiritual. Yeah. Nobody's more material than a good Christian. Right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I, I heard this one priest talk about almsgiving, uh, even in your, your practical life, where if you're going to buy a car, even if you have the money for it, you, you, you find the car you want, and then you go one model down and you use that difference and you give, give the difference to the, the poor. You know, and just something beautiful, just something simple that, that even you can live with it. And people say we Christians don't aim high. Aim for the Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> it works out well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, there, there are many who, uh, I know no one here, but some who, who have struggled with the same sin over and over again. Sure. Um, when, when we're looking at, particularly in this time of Lent, 
what advice would you have as they, as they sometimes feel frustrated, sometimes feel that despair as they continue to right. uh, have that perpetual or, or habitual? It's, it's a problem in the confessional that a lot of people say, Father, I'm not making any progress. And the first thing I'll say is never tire of coming here because then mm. the enemy wins. That's the right. enemy of your human nature will win. Yes. Say, you know what, if I confess this every week the rest of my life, at least you're staying in relationship. Right. Right. And this may be just a sign of who you are. So don't I mean, give Paul up. asks, right, for that grace to be freed from whatever Door sin. In the flesh. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Matthew 13, the wheat and the tares. I mean, sometimes in our zeal, especially after a conversion or after a retreat, we want to rip things out. And sometimes I think we can hear Jesus say, no, it might not be on your time and in your way. Let me do it. Because if you mm -hmm. choose to do it, you might rip out a lot of other good stuff. Yeah. In fact, you it's might give up your anger and become proud. Uh. And so if Jesus isn't the one ripping these things out, and so one, one little trick I do in the confessional is people struggle with this. I say, okay, you've named what you've done. For your penance, I want you to go home and ask yourself, why do you do it? Because yeah. all of us sin because we find some good more attractive or more secure right. than we do the glory of God, mm -hmm. right? We may know it's not the best world, but at least it's mine. Yeah. And so why do we gossip? Why do right. we overeat? Why do we all the little things that we do? Right. To get to the root. Why, right? You know, the, the very fact that all of the acronyms for the seven deadly sins begin with P, <laughs> pride, yeah. Yeah. helps us to also recognize why it's profitable to confess again and again, even if it's the same sin yeah. we're constantly struggling with, because at least you're growing in humility by not giving up the struggle. Right. And as you That's grow in humility, it. that really is the, the, the virtue that is going to eventually uproot pride. I, I'm convinced that the surprising discovery you make on the other side of death is that all along you were growing in sanctity. That's the right. struggle yeah. itself mm. equals mm. holiness. Well, we know what Jesus did for a living, right? He's a carpenter. But how many examples from carpentry does he use? The spiritual life isn't like that. The carpenter finishes at 5 o'clock, right. he goes home, comes back. What he left is there just as he left it. Right. But the farmer, something happened under the soil. He doesn't know what happened. He can't see it, but it wasn't up to him. And I think the spiritual life is very much like that. Yeah. And as long as we humbly keep coming back and not giving up, that's exactly what the enemy wants, for us to separate ourselves from the Christian body and from God. Right. Let me ask for one, one last area that I think we'd love to hear your insight on. We've talked about prayer, fasting, almsgiving. We mentioned retreat a little bit and, and other items. What about spiritual direction? Uh, what, what, how would that play into uh, looking at our lives? Well, spiritual direction can take many forms. And I think probably the most obvious way that we could think about it is just going to a friend whose prayer life you respect. Oftentimes, priests and nuns are too busy to take on another directee. But there are people who around you at the university, at the coffee shop, whoever, or people you see at daily mass that you think, you know what, if I could just be intentional with this person for a few minutes and say, I would like to talk to you about this, that can be a form of spiritual direction. Okay. And I think that's a good thing because Satan hates light. He yeah. hates sharing. He hates right. transparency. Right. And the more things we can get out. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, he would light. rather yeah. we be accountable to him. Yeah, right. yeah, that's right. And in darkness, and that we always are. happens in secrecy, <laughs> yeah. right? right? Ignatius's famous example of Satan is he's like a secret lover. He comes mm. to you and doesn't want you to tell your spouse. I see. He says, yeah, yeah, keep this between us. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about the sacrament of reconciliation. You can say whatever you want, and believe me, it goes nowhere. That's right. I mean, as a priest, I, tell you, I couldn't tell you what you confessed just two seconds ago. Right. Right? I'm so glad for it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> but there is a sense in which that light destroys Satan's plans. Yeah, and so bringing it to the light, mm -hmm. uh, both both in the confessional, but also even with but the spiritual But also with someone direction. you trust. That I mean, is a great suggestion yeah. in terms of finding someone whose prayer life you respect, because it's spiritual mentoring in yes. a way. You know, yes. it's sort of what my uh, one of my one of my kids backed into. He's an academic. He's married. He's got four kids, and he's way too busy. And so, I mean, he went to a priest, and he's g going regularly for confession. But he's found another guy who's about thirty years older, who's married with kids, who's mm -hmm. an academic. You know, right. and the advice that he's been getting 
you know, is 10 times more valuable than simply what a celibate would, would, would give him. You know, right. Yes, he gets the words of absolution. Yes, he gets the grace of the sacrament. But really, practical, concrete advice once a month from a guy whose prayer life he saw and respected. Right, exactly. uh, spiritual mentoring and so forth. Yeah, that's yeah. the way the fathers understood spiritual direction. Right. Yeah. yeah Abba. Very helpful. Uh, you won't want to miss the final segment of this episode of Franciscan University Presents. The seven deadly sins are absolutely crippling, and indeed we can feel ourselves crushed beneath their weight. The good news, of course, is that they can be counterbalanced by the virtues. Most familiar to us are the cardinal virtues. These are prudence, or practical wisdom, justice, which perfects our will, courage, which perfects our irascible appetite, our, our, our response to things that imperil us, and temperance, which is the perfection of our concupiscible appetite, our appetite that draws us towards those things that are attractive and good for us. So we can indeed strive over a course of time to be perfected through these cardinal virtues, but they take, they require the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, in order to be brought to their full perfection. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking about the seven deadly sins with Father David McConey. Um, we're at our final segment where we do our, our kind of summation or high point. Regis, could you start us off? Yeah, I think maybe a, a little praise uh, might be in order. Uh, I'm awed uh, by your industry, Father. Oh. At the mm. beginning when, when, when Michael introduced you, uh, I was impressed by the number of things you had already done. But what really uh, uh, staggered me uh, were all of the books that are still in the pipeline, uh, pending publication. And, and it occurs to me that if, if, if sloth were something merely reducible to indolence, laziness, well, you are at least blessedly spared that particular vice. I, I don't know about the other six. Yeah. But uh, that, that is uh, uh, commendable. Oh, thank you. And I know they're worth waiting for, uh, those five or six books. And uh, what, what I'd like to uh, conclude with uh, in a sort of Lenten context is what Jesus asks uh, 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 the disciples when he first uh, stumbles upon them. What do you want? Mm. What are you looking for? Or that poor bloke uh, who's been waiting to be bathed uh, in, in the healing waters for, what, about 500 years. And, and Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? And I think everybody wants to be well. And, and, and to get well, to become whole, holy, we have to somehow vanquish sin, get beyond the impediment of, of sin and vice. And there are those seven pesky vices that stand in the way. And behind all of that, I, I think, is this recognition that we are a divine work of art and that Jesus is not going to be satisfied until we have a certain shape, mm -hmm. a certain character. And, and the temptation to sloth, I think, is when you say, oh God, couldn't you give me something less uh, glorious, less arduous? Uh, why can't you settle on me something mediocre? I, I'm not ready uh, for uh, sanctification. And that has to be overcome yeah. by prayer, by the realization that you have been made for glory. That's right. and, and that should exhilarate the soul, I think. That's right. God loves you too of, much to leave you the way you that, are. Now. That's right, yeah. I mean, it, it's not a metaphor. It, it really is meant to be understood literally. He wants you to look a certain way, and he's not going to stop. Uh, love is to promote the best good of the beloved. That's right. Benevolence and union. Yeah. Right. So there the it is. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Regis. Scott? 
Well, you referred to the lame man who was by the poolside for 38 years when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And it's like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> and yet the man's response isn't, yes, please do. It's, I've been here for 38 years, right. every time I try to get down. And I get a sense that this man was feeling sorry for himself. He couldn't yep. get into the pool, but that didn't stop him from wallowing in his own self-pity. And I think at the beginning of Lent, that's where we often find ourselves, mm. just finding reasons to be sorry for ourselves instead of sorry for our sins. And this is why, you know, besides the big three, prayer and fasting and almsgiving, and entering into those with a spirit of divine filiation, we are children of God. Don't do it so that other people see you, Jesus says, because then you've lost your reward. Do it alone in secret so your Father sees it and will reward you. And that divine fatherhood, getting to know Abba Father, but practically speaking, I would say, a retreat, not just an annual retreat. retreat. I, last year I had a retreat scheduled for after Easter and then I changed it to during Lent. Yeah. And I'm glad I did and so was my wife and my kids, <laughs> you know. And, and when I got back with, that, with, with the help of a spiritual director, you know, I, my resolution was to read the gospel, to go back to the rosary, but also, you know, a weekly date with Kimberly and then special time each week with my kids, with each one of them, you know. Mm. And, and, and I always felt at the end of the day, like, you know, if I were up past midnight, I still couldn't get everything checked off my list, but this is the priority, you know? And what a difference it makes because, you know, we're living the life of grace, that's divine family life. But grace builds on nature. So leave yourself time as a husband and as a father, as well as a, as a child of God. And I would just say that an annual retreat where you're looking for some specific concrete resolutions, and I would also say reading the Bible, changing prayer back into a dialogue where you're reading the Gospels and you're hearing the voice of God and watching Jesus and just getting a sense that He is in my life as much as He was you know, in the life of the paralytic by the poolside yep. or whatever. Yeah. And He's asking me, do I want to be healed? And then He's showing me, you're also feeling pretty sorry for yourself. Let me show you how to get out of that, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, you both talk about the lame man on the mat. What's intriguing about that story is, what does Christ say? Pick up your mat and go home. The poor man's been on it for 38 years. Yeah. Right. But it's precisely the mat that two verses later the Jews recognize, aren't you the one who was? Yeah. And that's precisely what we do when we ask for our sins to be forgiven. Mm. Jesus doesn't just take them away and say, okay, no more. He sometimes allows them like his own wounds in his hand inside to say, look, here's how I've healed you. And here's the story you can tell others. And so oftentimes when we enter into Lent, I think that where we're going is really that resurrected Christ who says, here are my wounds. And what do the apostles do? They rejoice. And I don't know anywhere else in ancient literature that, joys that wounds elicit joy. Hmm. It's usually you know, revenge or sorrow. Right. But in the Christian story, when we offer our woundedness to the Lord, there's great cause for rejoicing. And so when we think about the deadly sins, pride, that, that sense that I am above everyone else. Envy, that everyone else is out to get what I have. Wrath, that everyone else is an occasion for my anger, right? Sloth, I just don't care enough to say my prayers or to invest myself into this way of life. Greed, avarice, that I need this and that on my terms when I want them. Gluttony, that I will find satisfaction in material pleasures and lust, that I will reduce everyone to just two dimensions. When those become the way we live, the joy and the challenges of the gospel seem so, so distant, but that's not what the Lord wants for us. And the church gives us these 40 days to say, look, who are you obeying? What in your life gives you meaning and purpose? How, why do you get out of bed? And this is precisely, I think, why we have to take inventory of our souls through the retreat, through our prayer, through our communities. And so the deadly sins are a way of guiding that. 
-hmm. But we certainly don't want to end with sin, right? We want to end with the gifts of the Spirit. We want to end with that gaudium, with that joy that we've been talking about. So I guess if anything today's show is maybe the beginning, just the penitential rite is at the beginning of the Mass. It's not where we end, but it is a particular guide mm. and way in, right? Oh, that's so. great, that's great. Thank you, Father. Uh, if you've enjoyed today's program, we have a, a free handout for you, uh, an examination of conscience. That might be a great um, opportunity for you during this Lent to go a little deeper. It's by um, one of the Franciscan friars here, Father Dominic Scotto, uh, T-O-R, and you can uh, download that at faithandreason.com or just by contacting us, we'll send this to you. Um, as we look at this time of Lent, as we go deeper into our spiritual lives, I think we need to just make sure that we set our sight on heaven. Um, our first thing is we really must dream big because God does, not because we have the ability that we have the, 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 the uh, effort on our own is going to get us there, uh, but we have to realize that we are only made for Him and we are only truly human and truly alive in heaven and, and alive with God. So first, if we have that uh, fixed in our minds, we'll then begin to look at all the things uh, that need to be rooted out in our lives so as to give us that true freedom. And, um, and I, I'd, I'd encourage you if, you, if you don't feel the sorrow for sin, pray to the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sins because that is so important that you walk away from sin and say, this is death to me. Yeah. And if you don't understand that, you need to just pray, read scripture, talk to a priest, be convicted that sin is that which will keep you from God. So we need to have that sense that we're made for heaven, be convicted of our sins, and use the seven deadly sins. Make it simple for yourself. Choose a virtue that you really want to dive into, that you want to spend these, these 40 days, this retreat. Uh, and and as, as we encourage you, look for a spiritual mentor, spiritual director to lead you through this process. Uh, thank you for watching Franciscan University Presents. This is a program Franciscan University uh, creates so as to get you involved more in our mission. Our mission is to form the leaders who are going to go out and transform the world for Christ. Please be a part of that mission, uh, whether by coming to one of our summer conferences or joining us on a pilgrimage, or maybe getting your education, your degree from us here on campus or through our online uh, degree program. Uh, as, as always, Faith and Reason is an opportunity and a resource for you uh, to be more a part of the new evangelization, to be equipped, whether it be with uh, handouts like this, shows like uh, Franciscan University Presents, or so much else. But until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.